Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. In John chapter 20, Jesus proclaimed to Thomas that he was blessed because he got to see him physically, but more blessed are those who believe in Jesus without ever having seen him physically. Jesus appeared to the ten disciples, but Thomas was absent. Overjoyed, the disciples proclaimed to Thomas that they have seen Jesus, but Thomas obstinately proclaims that he will not believe unless he can see and touch Jesus himself. How often have we been stubborn and obstinate in our doubt and unbelief? Let's open our Bible now to John chapter 20 and look at the incredible blessing of believing and trusting in Jesus without ever having seen him physically. Well, good morning and welcome to another teaching. It's a Sunday morning here in Texas and uh, hopefully y'all loving on Jesus, spending time with Jesus, growing to know Jesus, growing to love Jesus, growing to act like Jesus. And for me, repenting when you fail, it's uh, something I consistently do. Um, golly, I just, uh, I've said it over and over, but repentance is one of the biggest tools in our toolboxes is just just acknowledging where we've acted in an unchristlike way just asking for forgiveness and um there's such a a power and a freedom in that but there's a humility in that again when i look through my own life and just consistently see the areas that need improvement it's i'll tell you it is humbling thank you lord jesus had a good morning this morning i met my brother Jason and we met at a diner and uh, Miss uh, Miss Alicia, who's a, a a wonderful Christian woman, a, a big sister in the Lord. I, I think she's I don't know twenty years older than me, and uh, she was she was uh, she was telling me how she um, you know she she didn't understand a point that I had made about uh, you know about how we are how we are the same as Barabbas. And it was a, it was a great observation. And uh, just as a side note, we, a kingdom discipleship, you're, you're welcome to, to email us. You're welcome to ask questions. You're welcome to say you don't understand things. Um, you know, if I misspoke something, certainly I'll correct it, Lord willing. Um, but, you know, I, if you recall, um, you know, when Pilate wanted to, to release Jesus when he was dealing with the religious leaders, with the Jews, the Jewish leaders. Um, but, you know, instead the crowd asked for Barabbas and Barabbas was a, was a murderer. And the cross that had already been prepared, the cross that Jesus carried was actually the cross undoubtedly that was, excuse me, made for Barabbas. And so Jesus actually took Barabbas's cross. He, he, the, the, the death that Barabbas should have died, Jesus died that horrific death in his place. And to that extent, we are all like Barabbas. All of us are sinful and evil and wretched sinners. And we deserve death. We deserve eternal hell and separation from God. 
Now, all of us haven't been murderers like Barabbas, but at the foot of the cross, all of us are like Barabbas in that way. We all are sinful. We all deserve punishment. We all deserve eternal hell. But like Barabbas, we like Barabbas, Jesus took our place and Jesus went to the cross in our place and on our behalf. So hopefully that makes sense. And uh, forgive me when I when I share something and, uh, you know, it's not clear. So, Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy, your favor and your your goodness on our lives. We thank you for your grace, Father. We uh, but Father, above all, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Lord Jesus, we thank you for becoming a human man for us, living a perfect life for us, dying a horrible, torturous death for us. And we thank you that you are alive and risen today and we worship you. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now. Give us eyes that see and ears that hear as we open your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Drink a little coffee here. All right. We're in John 20, and Lord willing, we'll finish the chapter, verses 19 to 31. John 20, starting in verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Wow. Mm. All right. Golly, Lord Jesus. Man, we're finishing up John 20. One chapter left and we'll have gone through the whole book. Stephen said it's going to be like, I don't know, almost 100 teachings in the book of John. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your mercy. And, I, and I'll say this. At 100 teachings, I feel like I've very inadequately covered it. 
I mean, it's the word of God. It's the scriptures. I mean, there's just so it just it just never stops yielding fruit. Right, Alicia? I mean, it's 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 incredible. All right. Verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. So remember, Jesus has been raised from the dead. Um, he appeared to Mary Magdalene first, and the last two teachings were, uh, were about that. Um, and he gave her instructions for, you know, to give to the disciples. Um, and so now it's that Sunday, it's Resurrection Sunday, and it says, on the evening of that first day of the week. So this is the same day he was raised from the dead. Uh, Mary went early to the tomb. The other gospel says with the other woman. Um, she's the first one to see the empty tomb. And Mary Magdalene was the first one to see the resurrected Christ. We talked about how that's it's just incredible how the Bible just, just tells you what happened. If it was going to be made up, you never would have had uh, a woman, um, just a, a peasant woman, to be the you know, the first one, the first eyewitness of the resurrected Christ, you would have, you know, if you were going to make it up, you would have had some esteemed man, right? But the scripture is real and it's true, right, Jason? All right. So it's the evening of that resurrection Sunday. I'm the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together. And it's again, wonderful that they're together. Um, it says with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, um, Again, they, they were scared of persecution, right? Um, now, we're going to get to Acts 2 where they're not going to have the doors locked anymore. When we move into the book of Acts, um, Jesus is going to, you know, he's going to give them instructions. He's going to say, wait, and they're going to they're going to they're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. They're going to be empowered in the Holy Spirit. It's interesting. They're going to be they're going to receive the Holy Spirit. They're going to receive spiritual life here. In these verses and in this, you know, in this time with Jesus, and we're going to get into that. It's incredible, right? Um, but then they're boldly preaching in the in the streets of Jerusalem, right? But here they have the doors locked for fear of the Jews. And it says, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. So the doors are locked. Nobody can get in. And all of a sudden, Jesus just appears before them, you know, all of a sudden, you know, he's not there and boom, blink. And now he's standing before you. It's clear based on the text that he didn't come in through the door. Right. And, 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 and I do believe and I, and other, you know, and uh, biblical scholars agree with this, right. Other biblical scholars agree with this, that this is a picture of, 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 of what it'll be like in our resurrected body. We obviously have limitations in our physical body and our mortal body, but Jesus now in, in his resurrected immortal body is, is not bound in the same way. It appears that he's, he's moving almost at the speed of thought, right? And he's not bound by worldly parameters, right? So, I mean, I've said this before. It'll be like we're, we're having a conversation. I remember this like an old brother, Pete Choate, told me this like, I don't know, 23 years ago or something. But he said it'll be like 
you're having a conversation in, in Dallas, right? Or uh, wherever you are in the world, in London and Singapore and uh, Beijing and um, wherever you are, you'll be having a conversation and you'll, and you'll say, listen, I, I have to go. I have to be in Jerusalem in about 15 seconds. And with your spiritual body, you'll be able to move whatever that is, the speed of thought. So it's, it's kind of cool, right? So Jesus just appears before them, right? And then he's, these four words, his first words out of his mouth, the first words they hear him say is, peace be with you, right? Now, they could have been fearful, right? They deserted him. Only John was there at the cross with him, the author of this gospel. But Jesus' first words are comforting words, right? You would have thought perhaps there would have been some shame, but no. In Christ, there is no shame or guilt or condemnation. My beautiful wife, May, is a, uh, a worship leader and a piano teacher, and she's been doing it, I don't know, coming up on 25 years or so. Um, and, uh, it, you know, she expects her students to practice, right, Lynette? She, she wants the students to, to really work hard, right? I mean, their parents pay for the lessons, um, and she expects them to practice and do well. And so she had, she had put up a, a board and it said wall of shame. And this was, again, it was meant to be lighthearted, um, you know, that, you know, it, it's shameful if you're not practicing. Right. But I came down and I said, sweetheart, I mean, you have to change that. I said, you need to change that to wall of conviction because in Christ, there is no shame. There is no guilt and there is no condemnation. Right. These are not things the Spirit of God will do, okay? But there is conviction, okay? So listen, I'm not saying that when we do things wrong, again, take away shame and put conviction. We're convicted that what we did was out of line, that it was wrong. We repent. We genuinely ask forgiveness to the Lord and to whomever we were, you know, disrespectful or however we wronged anyone, right? Um, and so... You know, the disciples perhaps are dealing with some ungodly shame or guilt or condemnation. And Jesus' first words are, peace be with you. And if you're in Christ today, maybe you need to hear those words, right, Corinne? Peace be with you. That the first thing Jesus brings is, is peace. Not condemnation, not wrath. In Christ, we do have peace, Right? Outside of Jesus, we're actually, we're at war with God the Father. But in Jesus, we, we have peace. If you turn over to, to Romans chapter 5, right? And we'll start reading in verse 1, Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Okay, so you see that we have peace with God through Jesus. And his first words to them are, peace be with you. If you are trusting and relying on Jesus Christ today for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul, um, then you have peace with with the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And Jesus first brings peace. Now, certainly there is discipline, right? But his first words to them are, peace be with you. Verse 20, 
After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. You can't even imagine, right? They just weren't joyed, Peyton. They were overjoyed. What's that mean, David? There could be joy, but when it's overjoyed, that's like a real lot of joy. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, uh, you, you know, trying to to imagine to, to just to, to, to be in their shoes and to see the resurrected Christ. And I'll say this, as we grow to know Jesus better, the more we look forward to that day when we'll be overjoyed may right sweetheart when we when we see jesus right overjoyed lord jesus we want to see you come lord jesus we'll be overjoyed when we see jesus and when jesus looks into your eyes and you see the love in his eyes you see the mercy in his eyes golly i'm just i'm convicted i want to be more like him lord we want to be overjoyed like the disciples lord when we see you the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Verse 21, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. Again, he's affirming them, be at peace. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Again, Jesus commissions the disciples here. And in the same way, he's commissioning every one of us who have genuinely received him and are trusting in him alone as our only Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our soul. Jesus is commissioning you to go out and work in his kingdom as a disciple of Jesus Christ. We said this last time, there can be two equally wrong and destructive errors, right? There is self-commissioning, and then there's man-centered commissioning, right? Both are unbiblical, okay? Um, we're commissioned by Christ, okay? Now listen, it's good if you have brothers and sisters in your life and pastors and elders that you're in relationship with and they're looking out for you, they're pouring into you, um, they, they have a pure heart of Christ to see you walk out the call of God on your life and you believe you have a special ministry calling, say a, a calling to go into full-time ministry, certain, certainly you want to get the the blessing of biblical leaders who have poured into your life. Now hear me when I say this, because, because you hear someone preaching in a pulpit, that's not pouring into your life. That's a good thing to go to a church and to, and to sit and, and to listen to the word of God being taught and to worship and praise. But none of that is, uh, is, is, is commissioning. Okay. What a pastor does in a pulpit has very little to do with, you know, with their relationship with you. You ought to be in relationship with your leaders, with your pastors, with your elders. Um, they ought to be giving you time, okay? Um, we have gotten to, to a place where we're often, particularly in very large churches, but even in smaller churches where people, you know, uh, serious Christians have no access to their, their pastors and elders and teachers, and it's unbiblical, okay? Okay. Um, uh, in, in order for them to, to, to effectively know the call of God on your life, they have to have relationship with you, right? The old church fathers used to say, you have as much authority in a person's life 
as you have relationship. You only have as much authority as you have relationship. Now, again, um, they, they don't need to be chasing you. You should be, you know, you should be going to, you know, if you're a part of a church, you ought to be in relationship with your pastors and your elders and, you know, um, and, and walking with them and looking to spend time with them. And they ought to be pouring into your life far more than just what happens on Sunday. Now, obviously, if you get into big thousands of members, churches and everything else, you know, there are different leaders at different levels, but still, right? If you believe you have a special call of God in your life to be in, to be in full-time ministry. And why do I say full-time? Every one of us is commissioned by Jesus to go out and do the work of Christ. Now, if you're not doing the work of Christ now on a consistent daily basis, then you are in no way called into a, a public or professional or, quote, full-time ministry. Okay, And if you are in full-time ministry today and all you do is what you do at the church, you're not called to be in the full-time ministry. Okay, Uh, What we do on Sundays or what we do at, quote, the church building ought to be a very small part of our walk with Jesus Christ. It's important. There's no question. But if the majority of what you do in Jesus is public, then your ministry is out of line. Okay, Your private ministry. Right. Your ministry on a day to day, moment by moment, Monday to Saturday basis has to meaningfully outweigh what happens publicly or what we do publicly. My ministry of what I do here and teaching the, the scriptures. Right. We've been doing it twice a week now for I don't know what it's been. Stephen would know a year and a half, two years. But, um, you know, that that's certainly an important part of what we do at Kingdom Discipleship. But as a, as a pastor, I'm consistently in relationship with people, right? Consistently discipling, consistently uh, pouring into them and receiving from them, right? Um, so we're all commissioned by Jesus as genuine believers in Jesus Christ to advance the kingdom of God, right? Um, it's Christ who's commissioning you. Now, if you feel called again into a greater capacity, again, you have, first of all, you need to be walking with Jesus and ministering now, wherever we are, all of us are ministers as Christians, right? But if you believe you have a call to be in full-time ministry, that you ought to be very active in ministry now, okay? And then, so again, um, we do want to have wise men and women that we're walking with, that, you know, that we're in deep relationship with. And then in that relationship, right, when these people have a heart for you and they love you and they're pouring into you, you ought to be submitted to them, right? But again, we, we, you, you need to have relationship with men and women of God that are walking with Christ in a deep and meaningful and mature way who have a heart for you and want to see you fulfill the call of God on your life. And now in that, they affirm Christ's commission on you. Right. Um, And, you know, and there ought to be multiples. It's not just people at church. Right. It's not just pastors and elders at church, although those are good. There ought to be, you know, I have dozens of relationships in my life of people that I'm in relationship with that I pour into and I receive from. Right. All right. As the father has sent me, Jesus said, I am sending you. We're sent in the model of Christ as the father has sent me. Jesus is sending us. Jesus has commissioned us to go out 
and make disciples, right? Uh, Matthew uh, 28, verses 18 and 19, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Jesus said, I'm the boss of everything, not only on earth, but in heaven. And he says, therefore, go out and make disciples. He didn't say make converts. He didn't say make Christians. You do have to be a convert. You have to become a Christian before you can be a disciple, right? A disciple is a disciplined follower of Christ, someone who spends time with Christ, growing to know Christ, growing to love him, growing to obey him, growing to help others to love him and obey him, right? Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I commanded you, right? It's your job to obey the entire word of God, to the entire Bible, to repent where you fall short, which for me is seemingly multiple times a day, um, and then help others do the same. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And Jesus says, you know, and I will be with you to the end of the age. Until Jesus comes back, he's certainly with us. He lives in us. The spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in us, right? Thank you, Lord. Verse 22. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. It's at this point that they are born again. It's at this point that they receive spiritual life. It's at this point that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, comes and lives inside of them and regenerates them and gives them spiritual life. Wow, there's a lot here. Um, before we come to Christ, we're dead in our sins. We're spiritually dead. We do not know God. Um, we have no relationship with the triune God, Father, Son, or Holy Spirit. We can know nothing of God in any way. Until you have this, until you receive the Holy Spirit, how do you and I receive the Holy Spirit? When we receive Jesus Christ. You're not sure you're a Christian today? You can simply go before Jesus and confess and pray to him, Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinful person. I know I cannot save myself, Lord Jesus. I'm hopeless. I'm desperate. But I believe, Lord Jesus, you are the Son of God. And I believe you came and lived a perfect life for me and died a horrible death for me. And I believe that you are alive and risen today, Lord Jesus. And therefore, Lord Jesus, I ask you now to come into my heart to be the Lord of my life, to save me from my sin and to bring me to heaven when I die. Lord Jesus, I place all my faith and trust and confidence and hope in you alone to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. That's how you become spiritually alive. Now, now, now hear me. It's not those words that save you. You can't just puppet words and be saved. It's Christ that saves us. But we use our words to communicate, obviously, to Jesus, right? It's the genuineness, the sincerity, the authenticity of your heart. You're knowing your desperate need of Jesus and humbling yourself before him and receiving him, right? John 1.12 says that to all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so when you ask Jesus to come into your heart, the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, comes and joins himself to your spirit, your dead spirit. And when that happens, in that moment, the spirit of God becomes one with your dead spirit and, and in that joining, an explosion of life happens and you become 
spiritually alive. You come into this world naturally and physically alive, but your spirit is dead to God. You're spiritually dead. When you receive Christ, the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you, right? And joins himself to your spirit. You're married to the spirit of Jesus. You're, you're called the bride of Christ. You're part of the body of Christ. You're one with Jesus and you come into spiritual life and the lights are turned on and you're you're spiritually alive now as well as naturally alive and God the Father is your heavenly Father and Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior and Master and King. The Holy Spirit is now your guide, your counselor, your comforter. It's incredible. That's what happened here to them when he said, it says, and with that he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And they became spiritually alive. They became born again spiritually. They were already born naturally, Scott. Now they're born again spiritually, right? Verse 23, if you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. It is our job as Christians, not just as ministers, as ministers, it's it's, it's what we do, but you know, it's our work, but every Christian is called, right, to proclaim the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's only in Jesus that we can be forgiven of our sins. It's only in Jesus that we can be saved from our sins. That's why Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Those are his words. The reason for that is there's no other way to have our sins forgiven. Right, Esther? Only in Jesus Christ can we have our sins forgiven. Right? You remember when um, the angel appeared to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, right? Um, when you turn to Matthew chapter 1, what is it? It's got to be around... Verse what? Um, we'll start reading in uh, verse 20. Matthew 1, verse 20, speaking of Joseph. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Okay, so number one, it's the Holy Spirit that that conceived Jesus in the womb of Mary, right? And there's a lot to be said about that. Verse 21, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Humanity has a sin problem. Every human being is equal. At the foot of the cross, we're all hopeless, desperate, wicked sinners in need of a Savior, and only Christ can save us. So when he says, if you forgive anyone his sins, it's only in Christ. In Christ, you can guarantee that if someone is in Christ, their sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. Any sin and all sin is forgiven in Christ. Verse 23, if you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. It's your job and my job to proclaim the gospel 
and that in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, we have the forgiveness of our sins and the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven, okay? If someone refuses Christ and refuses the gospel, their sins are not forgiven. It's Jesus's own words, right? John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. All right, verse 24. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Okay? It's a sad thing. Again, Thomas, as we see in the Gospels, was, was he was real, and that's an extremely good quality for Thomas. But also he can be, you know, he can be bitter. He can just want to go off on his own and just, you know, detach. You know, he's upset. He's hurt. He's angry. He should have been with them, right? He should have been together, but he wasn't. And it says in verse 25, so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Okay, so 10 disciples tell him, we have seen the Lord. 10 guys that he walked with for three and a half years, but he's so upset, he's so frustrated, he's so bent and irritated, he has determined that, you know what, I'm not going to believe any of you. Look what he says. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. Again, there is a stubbornness here and obstinance. Jesus is not under any obligation to physically appear to Thomas. He should have been with the 12, right? But, you know, or the other 10 disciples. And Jesus is not obligated. He has valid testimony, more than enough to believe. But there is a quality here that's good in the fact that he's genuine with the state of his heart. He's not hiding it. But certainly there's a quality here that's not okay in his, in his belligerent obstinance, right? He should have said, he should have been excited and praised and worshiped Jesus right at that point, right? But he, he says, I will not believe it, right? He gets the name Doubting Thomas for this. Um, and, you know, again, um, all of us have elements where we're like Thomas in this, right? Verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. And Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked... Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Again, boom, Jesus appears, right? The doors are locked. It's clear he doesn't come in through the door. He just appears before them. And again, he says, peace be with you. Now, again, this is important. Um, imagine you're Thomas. You said the things you said. And boom, now he appears right before you and he's looking right at you. Verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Well, wait a minute. Why does Jesus just repeat almost word for word the, ting the things Thomas said? Jesus wasn't with Thomas when Thomas said his demand, unless I see the the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side. I will not believe. Jesus wasn't with them. How does Jesus know, Tom, that Thomas said the, those things? 
Because clearly Jesus says, put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Obviously, Jesus could hear Thomas, even though Thomas Thomas couldn't see Jesus physically. When Thomas said those things, although Jesus was not in his physical presence, Jesus was in his presence. Jesus can hear the things we say. Jesus does hear and does see the things we say and do. And that ought to give us a little bit of pause. Okay, it really ought to. Um, you know, Jesus is God. He sees everything we say, see, and do. Right, Uncle Dennis? He knows what Thomas has said, and he rebukes him here. And he commands him, stop doubting and believe. We're not told that Thomas ever does touch Jesus. But look at verse 28. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Thomas's only words, right? He didn't have anything to say except these five words. Jesus says to him and says, Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Now, again, this is a profound statement by, by Thomas. He's calling him God in both statements, right? My Lord and my God. Jesus Christ is God Almighty. We have a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're all God. They're, they all know everything. They're all omniscient. They can all do anything. They're all omnipotent. Um, and they're all everywhere. They're all omniscient, right? My Lord and my God. We really don't know who we're dealing with. Jesus is not like any other person in the Bible or any other religious figure or otherwise Outside the Bible in history, Thomas knows who he's dealing with, and he proclaims, my Lord and my God. Do you know Jesus Christ? To fully know him as your Lord and Savior, do you know him as your Lord and your God? It was your God that became a human man for you. Your God that left heaven and took on humanity, lived a perfect life for you, was tortured a torturous death for you and me. And indeed is alive and risen. And we worship you today, Jesus. Verse 29, then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Isn't that an incredible verse? Isn't that an incredible verse for you and I? You and I read the testimony of this gospel. We read all that Jesus did and it just, it's true it's the word of God. It's why we have the Bible. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. There is an incredible blessing for us, for you and I, who have not seen Jesus physically. Jesus didn't appear to us physically like he did to Thomas and rebuke us physically for our doubt and unbelief. But the, the greatest blessing in the world is believing in Christ, to trust in Christ, to rely on Christ, to believe he is the son of God, to believe that he became a human man for you, lived a perfect life for you, died a torturous death for you, 
to believe he is alive and risen and to give your life to him, to trust in him, to rely on him, to receive him as your only Lord and Savior and then to spend your life living for him. Blessed, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Verse 30, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. So John makes it clear there were many, many things that are not recorded. And this is very, very powerful. Look what he says here in 31. But these are written. John has given the reason that he wrote this book. But these are written. The things Jesus said, the things Jesus did, the miraculously appearing before them, all the miracles, all the 20 chapters he's just written. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. It's by believing and trusting and relying on Christ that we come into spiritual life, that we become children of God our Father, that we come into relationship with Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that we, that we receive the Holy Spirit who is our guide, our counselor, our comforter, our God. But these are written. John said Jesus did many other miraculous signs that are not in the Gospel of John. But these are written. Here's the purpose. But these are written, Pop, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. We have the Bible at the, at the end of it all, the entire Bible is that you and I might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in his name. By believing you might receive spiritual life. You might receive Jesus Christ and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Go from being under the power and control of the devil to being under the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, going from heading to hell to, to now certainly in Jesus Christ, going to heaven with no doubt when you leave this life. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? John 1.12 says that to all who believed him, to those, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. To believe in Jesus means to trust in him, to rely on him, to receive him, to have your full confidence in Jesus alone for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul. And if you're not sure, back up the tape, you know, use the words I use to humble yourself, cry out to Christ. That's fine. But the words are not what's important. What's important is the genuineness, the sincerity of your heart as you humble yourself before Jesus, proclaiming your belief in him as the son of God, your trust and reliance on him, and inasmuch that by believing you may have life in his name. That's why we have this Bible. That's why we have this book. It's the meaning of life. Father, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your favor. 
We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your word. Above all, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we have life in your name. We thank you for becoming a human man for us, living a perfect life for us, dying that torturous death for us. And we thank you that you are indeed alive and risen today. And we worship you, our risen Savior. Holy Spirit, we ask you to seal the message to our hearts. Give us eyes that see Jesus and ears that hear him. Help us to live our lives for Jesus. It is indeed in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.